scriptural reading today is from Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Now a man from a house of Levi went and took his wife as his wife, uh, Levite, a woman, the woman conceived a and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could know, when she could hide him no longer, she took a basket made from bulrushes and dropped it with bitumen and pitched. She put the child in it and placed a, um, it among the weeds by the river bank. And when, as her sister stood at the at a distance to know what would uh, would be done to him now danger the danger of the daughter of the pharaohs came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked with the beside the river she saw the basket among the weeds and sent one of her servant women and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is a one of the Hebrews' children. Then her sister said to the Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse this child for you? And the Pharaoh's daughter said, Go, go, so the girl went and called away a nurse, the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to the Pharaoh's daughter, and he became the son, her son. She named him Moses because she said, and I drew him out of the water. This word, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks to God. All right. Good morning, everybody. How are you today? Good. Let's pray, and we'll get right down to work. 
Father, for those of us in this room who have received any kindness from a good but imperfect Father, uh, we thank you for that mercy. For those in this room who have been wounded by the sin or the shortcoming of a Father, we pray that they would find healing in you, the true and better Father. And for every Father in this room whose inadequacies have been exposed or are uh, really being felt in this season, we pray that they would find in you their strength and their identity and their confidence. Father, we thank you that you have shown yourself to be the true and better Father. Thank you for pursuing us, adopting us into your family through Jesus, affirming us, loving us, keeping us, and actively speaking to us. And so as your kids now, we sit again to receive your voice, and I pray that it would be life-giving for every person in this room, particularly for those who perhaps are not yet your son or daughter through Jesus, that today they would hear the good news of the gospel and repent of their rebellion and find themselves adopted into a family with the true and better father. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, kids, if you need one of our sermon note sheets, Owen has a stack of them, right, buddy? Just walk right down the aisle this way, bud. Come this way. And just raise your hand if you need one. Adults, you're welcome to have one as well. In fact, I encourage you to take one, okay? So Owen's just going to do a lap around the room. Go ahead and snag him as he walks by. So we're a couple weeks into our summer sermon series entitled Ordinary People, Gospel Power. So you know by now that our theme verse comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, which says, We have this treasure in jars of clay, or the jars of clay, ordinary, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Ordinary people, gospel power. God is the one with the power, and we are all a bunch of ordinary kids adopted into his family. And our father is not disappointed in our ordinariness. He's not threatened by it. He doesn't even need us to be more than what we are as ordinary sons and daughters. He has the power. He gives the power, and he chooses to work through ordinary sons and daughters. We make his heart glad. He enjoys working through ordinary people. God, actually, Owen and I were talking on the way to church. Uh, he, he was asking, we're talking about how God doesn't die, but Jesus died once, but it was God's power that bought, brought him back to life. And Owen's like, I wonder what kind of power he used to bring him back. And I said, that's, that's a really good question. I don't, like, I don't know. And he's like, maybe it was water power. Maybe it was. So he starts rattling through power. Um, it was a fun conversation. Guys, that's the point. God's power is at work through us. And... Um, he doesn't need us to be anything other than the ordinary sons and daughters that we are. Okay. All right, I need your help to get started. And what I need you to do is, I know you already spent some time standing, but in a moment I'm going to invite you to stand, and I'm going to set a timer for one minute. Oh, man, I almost caught the Philly score. They're in extra innings. But I'm not looking. It's my timer. Okay, I'm going to set it for a minute. Um, 
I'm going to have everybody stand. I'm going to have you look around. So kids, if you want to, it's almost impossible to look around when all the adults are standing. You're actually welcome to come stand down front with me for that minute if you'd want to. Okay? So any kid, if you want to, you can come on down and stand right next to me. And you're going to look with me out the other direction. You coming down, Lorelai? You can come on down. All right. Amina, Lucas, great. Why don't you spread out so we all have a different view, okay? Spread out a little bit. All right, we got more and more. Perfect. What's up, guys? All right, hey, guys. Which one of you wants to finish the sermon? Josh? Hey, dude. Great job reading. So good. All right, so here's what we're going to do. It's not complicated, but I want, I, want, I want to share this moment with you so that we remember the moment. Everybody's going to stand. When you stand for one full minute, guys, here's what we're, you're going to help me kind of keep an eye out, okay? Everybody out there has to be as still as possible. Not a single muscle moved. Not a, no, not a noise. I'm not playing. Not a noise. The only part of your body you're allowed to move will be your eyes. You're welcome to move your eyes. You can look anywhere you want to. In fact, what I want to encourage you to do is try to identify some people that you had missed while sitting down, that you didn't know were in the room, or perhaps some people who aren't present that normally you would expect to be here, okay? Eyes only. So you're my judges, okay? You guys, you're going to pick out anybody who's moving anything other than eyes. Can you do that? Because normally I feel like people are looking at you, seeing if you guys move anything other than yours. So now it's your turn, okay? All right, go ahead and stand. I'll give you just five seconds to get in your position. One full minute. Ready? All right, here we go. Okay, keep an eye out, guys. And that's a minute. Wow. That was the quietest it's ever been in this room. All right. How do you do? Three. Three people. Two. Wow. One. Okay. One. Whoa. Wow. One. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he's he's a kid. He doesn't count. He gets a, All right. All right. Good job. Good eyes. Good eyes. Good job, Owen. Thank you. Hey, I just had an important question from one of the kids. They said, "Does chewing gum count?" Yes, it does. We we stipulated eyes only. So unless you can chew gum with your eyes, 
You broke the rule. All right, buddy. Good job. Go ahead and have a seat. No, go sit down. Go sit down. That felt like more than a minute, didn't it? Felt like a long time. Minutes can feel like a very long time. Um, did you see some things that you hadn't otherwise observed in maybe your hurry around the room or your haste or you saw stuff that you hadn't otherwise seen, right? Or you saw people that you hadn't seen. That's good. Um, I saw the best pair of socks in the room. I hadn't noticed those until I would. Best pair of socks right down front. Some of you may have been annoyed by that minute. Um, you're like, dude, we're in church. We already know you struggle to keep sermons under a certain length. Like, we, we have important things to do here. What are we doing with this insignificant time? Uh, even in our, in our own language, the words standstill have come to have negative connotation, right? If something comes to a standstill, that's, that's bad for us, right? Standing time is wasted time. I have more important things to do. I'm important. I have, I have significant things to do. So standing still or standing is insignificant. Our big idea for this morning from Exodus chapter 2, this is going somewhere, just hang in there, okay? Our big idea is like this. God works powerfully through ordinary people standing. It's in the text. I'm going to show you. Just hang on one second, okay? God works powerfully through ordinary people standing. Now, uh, for those of you who don't like long sentences or kids, if you want a shorter big idea to write down, the other way you could remember this passage is right there, okay? Miriam stood. And you'll remember what Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 to 10 are all about, okay? And like I've done before, kids or adults, uh, I got my references down in the bottom. EX for Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And that's really small, I'm sorry, but there's our theme verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. And, hey, kids, um, I haven't thought of my reward yet. I do want to award or affirm this in you, so I'll think of something. I was going to go blue seal, but that's too hard to pull off. Maybe, maybe at the end of the summer. I want to encourage you to memorize 2 Corinthians 4, 7 during our summer series. And at the end of the summer, I'll ask you to come and recite that. To me, maybe we'll recite it together for our moms and dads. And uh, I don't know, maybe we'll do Blue Seal. I like Blue Seal. Mint chocolate chip, okay? Is that okay? All right. We're going to see the passage kind of structured like this. Here are the three kind of points if you like to take notes and follow along. Uh, remain close, respond quick, and run for kin. I would write family, but I needed a C or a K sound, okay? Run for kin. So we're going to see three verbs, three actions that Miriam is taking, standing, speaking, and seeking, okay? Ordinary people, uh, God working powerfully through ordinary people. Now, the young lady at the center of our story this morning is a girl by the name of Miriam. And people who study the Bible and history think that Miriam would have been between the ages of 6 and 12, uh, they think that because the job that she was given is pretty significant, right? Uh, but, and so she's not playing with the younger kids, but they also think she's under 12 because, remember, Miriam belonged to a family, in the, the, uh, a Hebrew family. And remember, the Hebrews were all slaves in Egypt. Uh, one of the reasons we don't really see Miriam's daddy featured at all in these stories is he was off doing slave work. He didn't have a choice to do with his own life 
what he would have liked to have done. So he's absent from the narrative, really. We see Miriam, but she was probably too... The reason we think she's 12 or under is if she was older than that, she probably also would have been off doing forced slave labor somewhere else. But she's young enough to have the freedom, right? So, uh, young ladies, how many of you in the room are between the ages of 6 to 12? All right, we got a couple of you. Good. Boys, I know the girl feature, the story features a girl, but if you're between 6 or 12, boy or girl, let me see your hand. Okay, fantastic. So, guys, I just want to show you something. This girl, Miriam, grew up to be a leader and a, what we would know as a prophet or prophetess. Let me just show you this. This is Micah 6.4. God says, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you, here were the three leaders of the Exodus, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. It was a team effort, and Miriam's role on the team was just as important as Moses' role and Aaron's role. Uh, God says so himself. So ladies, young ladies and boys, you need to know you matter deeply to God and you matter deeply to his family. And in the same way that Miriam grew up and was recognized by God himself as a leader in his family, you are going to grow up and you will have the opportunity to lead in very important ways in the life of God's family. And she had another role. We learned this from Exodus chapter 15, where Miriam's described as a prophetess. That word's God doesn't call many people prophets or prophetesses. That's a pretty important word. He says, then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. Any tambourine people out there? And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. We need some tambourines and dancing. What I wanted to show you in this verse, though, is Miriam is called a prophetess. What does that mean? It means that God gave her important words to speak to his people. So, young ladies, I can imagine many of you, all of you, growing up and receiving very important words from God to speak to his people, to point people to God, to help them love God and to know God's love. So I just want you to see this at the very beginning. The young lady we're talking about grew up to have a very significant role. She was an ordinary girl, ordinary person like me, and God worked powerfully through her. She was a leader, and she was a prophetess in the family. Okay, so that's Miriam. Now, the story, Joshua read it for us. He did, where are you at, Joshua? Did you just walk to the back? Hey, buddy. Josh, you did a really good job. I didn't, you know what? I've tried to shorten up some of the passages this summer for the readings. Not only was that a long passage with some tough words like, who says bitumen anymore? And I don't even say those words. But the catechism part that you had to read, that was almost just as long. And you did a really good job, buddy. So thank you. Yep. So the story, let's just summarize it quickly because Josh read it for us. I think maybe the most important verse to help us understand why these events are happening is the last verse of chapter one. Remember, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had passed a law. Um, and he passed this law because, remember, the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt, and the Egyptians felt threatened by the number of Hebrew slaves. And so they were passing laws to kind of shrink the population of Hebrews down so they wouldn't be so afraid, they wouldn't be so threatened. So the last verse of chapter 1 actually says, here's the law that he passed. Every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you will throw into the Nile River, but you let every daughter live. 
So that's the law of the land right now. If you're a Hebrew family and you give birth to a boy, that boy is going in the river. And the Nile River, I mean, a, a river alone is a scary thing. That's horrible. But the Nile River, man, at least in my imagination, you think, what do you think of when you think Nile River? Exactly. Horrible. Cruel. And so that's what's going on, right? And so uh, we don't have their names in here, but Moses' mommy and daddy, who knows them? Bonus points. Extra mint chocolate chip at the end of the summer. Amram, right? That's one of them. And Jochebed. Did you know that? All right, so there's mom and dad. They give birth to a boy. And uh, I actually texted my dad last night and asked him, hey, can you tell mom that I found my new life verse. I didn't even know it was in here, but here it is. It's uh, verse 2. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, <laughs> I just circled that and sent that to my brothers. and my... She loved him, and she didn't want to throw him in the river, so she hid him for three months. You could hide a baby for three months, right? First three months... Kind of quiet-ish, quieter-ish, easy-ish. But after three months, like, forget about it. Forget about it, right? Too much noise, it's not happening. And so they took desperate times, desperate measures. They built uh, the, the word, it's not in our English, but actually it's the same word used for Noah's ark. It's ark. Uh, they made a little boat. And she, <clears throat> she waterproofs it, and she puts it in the Nile. Now, growing up, I always used to think... So she put him in the Nile in this boat to just let him float away. But that's not what's going on, right? Moses' mommy didn't just put him in the river so he would float away. If we read it closely, she's putting him in a part of the river that's full of reeds. So maybe it's like this daytime hiding place when he's active. He can be in this enclosed little boat in the reed so he's quieter and can't be seen. And then maybe at nighttime for sleeping under the cover of darkness, he can come back home. Maybe that's what's going on. Or we see later in the story when Moses gets rescued, maybe mom knew exactly where she was putting him, where some of the royal family members would brush their teeth, comb their hair, and take their bath for the day, and that he would be discovered by somebody not so dangerous and would live, right? Now, uh, there are some great pictures. I found, uh, I found Jochebed's social media feed, and here was one of the first pictures she took after Moses was placed. I don't know who generates this artwork, but I don't, that's not a three-month-old right there. Uh, but just look at the kid's face. That's a great shot. This next one actually kept me awake uh, several nights this week. Where's it at? Uh, that's not very clear. Moses looks really sinister and scary in this shot, okay? Uh, these are some of kind of the classic pieces of art going around. But hey, kids, here's my favorite, and maybe you can build this one this week. Here's the best piece of art right here, all right? They got Moses and a little ark. He's in the river, and there's Pharaoh's daughter coming down. To, that's, that's perfect. And most of you have enough of those pieces. That's not a big set. You could do that. In fact, do it, take a picture for me, send it to me, and I'll put it on the screen uh, for next week, okay? I'm not preaching. It'll go on the screen the next week after. Now, those pictures aside, here's, just, here's a shot of the Nile River, so maybe we get a sense of what 
Moses' mom was doing, right? So she builds this ark. She puts him in this area of the river where he's not going to float away. The point is not that Moses would float away forever. The point is protect Moses. We've got to get him old enough that he's past that age where he's going to be thrown into the river, right? So they're just trying to save the kid's life, a place like this. Now, uh, we heard Josh read the story. Um, Moses is in the ark. He's in the reeds. Miriam, the daughter, uh, is told by her mom that she needs to stand and keep watch over Moses. Another reason we know he's not just floating down the river and it's like this funeral putting Moses, that's not what's going on. They're trying to save his life. Well, Miriam's watching, Moses is in the water, Pharaoh's daughter comes down with all of her servants. She's going to take a bath. She hears something, sees something. She gets the ark brought over to her. It's opened up. She sees the crying baby, clearly not either of the images that I showed you because immediately her heart just is in love with this child. And in the moment, it's cool in the narrative, there's almost no gap. Like it says that Miriam's at a distance, but as soon as Pharaoh's daughter sees the baby, Miriam's like immediately in the scene, right? She was ready. And man, she, she, was, she must have thought about this all day because what did she say? She, she asked, you want help with this? I can, I can go get somebody to help you. And Pharaoh's daughter says, go, 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 go. So Miriam runs and gets her mom, brings mom, mom back. And then what arrangement happens? Pharaoh's daughter is like, I'll pay you. Uh, I'll pay you for this. Check it out. Like, so Moses' mom, mom, this, what kind of deal is this? Like, she gets paid to do what she was going to have to do anyway. Like, imagine the play dates and the conversations that would happen at the park after that. Like, you know, I'm getting paid, like, I'm getting paid for this. Like, it, it must have really become a thing. So uh, she gets paid to raise Moses until he's of a certain age. She brings Moses back to Pharaoh's daughter, and Pharaoh's daughter names him then, right, gives him the Egyptian name Moses. Do you know why? It said in the text, the name Moses in Egyptian sounded just like the word which would, which would communicate, I pulled you out. Like they had the same sound, Moses and pulling somebody out of the river. And so that's why she named him Moses. But Moses also means, that's my son, right? That's my son. So that's the story that Josh read for us. Now, ordinary people, gospel power. Let me show you this. In Exodus chapter 2, there are three key verses. That, remember the, the three actions I already gave you. Standing, speaking, and seeking. Now, look at verse 4. It'll be on the screen for you. And his sister, so there's Miriam, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. It would be easy to read the story and to see verse 4 as kind of just a secondary piece or just a little insignificant piece of the story. But if, if chapter 2 was a time lapse, the first three verses, the action would go really, really, really fast. And then Miriam would be standing still, verse 4, and the time lapse, you would be staring at the time lapse and it would just go and it would go and it would go and there'd be no action, no action, no action until finally Pharaoh's daughter comes down into the river. What's the point? The point is verse 4 takes up the most amount of time in this entire story. In other words, the very thing that we think of as most insignificant in life is what Miriam spent most of her time doing in this story, standing. Now, if she's a, a young girl between the ages of, here, where are my six to 12 year olds again? What's the longest that you think you ever stood for? Just without sitting down and without really moving. You got an hour? Seconds? We got seconds. 
An hour. Anybody more? Yeah. Two hours. Wow. Yes, sir. Yeah, and it feels like forever, doesn't it? Guys, most of this story happens with no motion going on whatsoever, no action. Miriam takes up a spot where she can watch, and she stands. We don't know how much time went by, but I guarantee it didn't just go by the way that we read it. We read it like it's just, you know, build the ark, put him in the river. Miriam stands up. Immediately, Pharaoh's daughter's taking her bath and sees the basket. It was likely hours. Could have been all day. In fact, it could have been a couple days. It could have been spread out over several days. The point is, everything that we read right here doesn't happen if Miriam didn't stand still for hours on end. Very significant things happen. Uh, God rescues a baby. That's significant. God rescues the baby who grows up to rescue his people. God rescues a baby who grows up to rescue his people who grow up to be the people through whom God's rescuer for all people comes, right? So there's really nothing more significant than that. But all of that significance doesn't happen if Miriam doesn't stand still in what we would consider wasting our time. So guys, while we would consider standing still, standing to be an insignificant use of our time, God considers it sacred. And in fact, if the standing doesn't happen, the sacred and significant moments don't ever happen. They all flow out of the standing. That's where they come from. Now, it's not just stand, like the, the point is that there's something more moral or special about standing. Like, hey, what was John's sermon about? Standing. So I'm going to start practicing the spiritual discipline of standing this week, right? Like, that's, that, she's standing, but notice what, what the writer says. She's standing what? To know, right? So let's, let's kind of rephrase it. We could call that an attentive presence. She's choosing to be present in an attentive way, keeping watch on a particular person to see what will happen so that when it happens, she can be involved in the moment. So an attentive presence is what we're talking about. So she stands, and then the moment happens. Pharaoh's daughter comes down into the water, um, and then the next, the next action we see from Miriam, verse 7, says, Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? I wonder if Miriam and her mom came up with a strategy before they put Moses in the reeds. I bet they did. I bet they had a little family chat. Maybe. And if they did not, and Miriam came up with this all on her own, wow, that's impressive. That's really incredible. Either way, she asks the question and she goes to get her mom. So what's the point? The point is... After hours of insignificant standing, the moment came and she, not only did she have a word to say when the moment presented itself, she had a good and right, the right word to say. She was prepared for the moment that came. So let's remember that, okay? There's standing, there is speaking, and then the third action that we see her taking, running for kin. 
uh, seeking help. We see this in verse 8. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Why is that important? That's an important detail because while there's a lot of pressure placed on Miriam's shoulder throughout this story, she's not expected to be the lone hero of what's going on. And guys, uh, so many of us grew up, if you've grown up in the church, many of us have grown up in a culture of Christianity that places, honestly, unrealistic expectations upon your shoulders as if you should be the hero of other people's stories and you should be the one that does X or Y or Z. All the while, God has adopted in sons and daughters who are ordinary kids that he's going to ask to stand for long periods of time being in attentive presence, and then he's going to give them moments in which they can step in and speak a word. And when that word is spoken, just like Miriam, what did Miriam do? She ran to her family for help. Guys, the father would like for us to have the posture of 11-year-old Miriam when it comes to people, and that when he gives us moments with people, we would not view ourselves as some kind of a hero or the one that will save the day, but we recognize our dependence on God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and God's family. And just like Miriam ran to her family, we would be running back to our family and serving people together, folding people into the family together. People don't need me. And I just, I'm just going to let you down gently this morning. They don't need you as much as they need God the Father himself and the Father's family. They need the family. So we run back to the family for help. Okay? So Miriam, ordinary girl, gospel power. Um, here's how I drew this out. Kids, I don't know if you've been working on the drawing portion of your sheet already. I just want to show you, uh, last week you all laughed at me because you knew I didn't draw my own drawing. Um, now you're laughing at me because you, you know that I drew my own drawing and it's a little laughable. What I tried to do with my drawing, it didn't work out the way that I wanted. Um, I tried to do it to scale to remind me that standing occupies most of our time. Most of life is consumed with being in attentive presence, the standing moments, right? So that's why he's the biggest person standing. Then my next biggest person is the person speaking, right? There are plenty of moments, but not as many as the standing moments, where God works and gives me an opportunity to speak. I have words to say, right? And then I'm really proud of my running person, actually. Like, this is a big step for me. In my artwork, like I have motion in my stick figures. That's pretty significant. I tried to make them even smaller, though, because listen, listen. We think in order to be a good Christian, we have to be running around all the time. Our culture puts that kind of expectation on us. And unfortunately, Christian culture in many churches place, unless we're running around like crazy, we're not good Christians. Because it's just not what we see in the gospel. Most of life is standing some of life is speaking, and even less of life is running to the family for help with other people. Ordinary people, gospel power. And then I am really proud of my ark and my hybrid human baby there. That's Moses. In case you can tell, I had a really hard time with that scale, but there he is. I know, right? 
So kids, later, um, once, you've, once you've drawn what you're going to draw, remember, please remind your parents to text it to me or email it to me. All the pictures that you send me are scrolling on the screen in the back above the sermon notes. Here are some ideas that I wrote down. And uh, the first one, um, I think this story helps us to see this. I just wrote it this way. Evil wrecks really bad. God works relentless good. Here's why I wanted to point this out. Uh, And this is for all of us. Um, All of us need to be reminded of this. Guys, life in this broken world will always be filled with shocking evil. Pharaoh's a really bad king. Hebrew people lived in a really violent culture. They were slaves. They were oppressed. They lived in a culture, guys, where there were really bad laws. There was an evil law in place, right? What's the story filled with? Innocent people, babies being thrown into a river, right? Really bad things happening. And sometimes, guys, if we are not well-rooted in God's word, we will encounter evil in this world and it will shake us to the core. But the more we spend time in God's word, listening to our Father's voice, we come to understand the weight and the darkness of the evil that is present everywhere in our world. And so that even though we are still appalled by it and angered by it and sickened by it, well, I guess there's another piece. Maybe we come to see the depth of the evil in our own hearts. And just like we would be appalled at the evil in Egypt where babies could be thrown into the river, listening to our Father's voice helps us to grow in our understanding that there's stuff in my own heart that should appall me and make me stick to my stomach and help me to see that I need a rescuer. But in all of the brokenness, the big story of Scripture reminds us that God works for relentless good. Look at how he's working in the story. The guy who passed the law to to kill the babies, his daughter goes down to the river to brush her teeth and comb her hair and get ready for the day. His own daughter sees the baby and his own... This is beautiful. The king that wanted to stamp out God's people forever, his own flesh and blood becomes the rescuer for the nation of people through whom our rescuer would come. What does that remind us, guys? Even though Satan would absolutely destroy and the evil in this world would absolutely break and crush God works relentlessly through the most unexpected ways to ultimately bring about good and rescue and redemption years from now. So while our eyes are consumed with the evil all around us, God is working in all of it and through all of it. And someday we will be able to see the good that comes. But it's someday down the road. I want to finish with this. I also wrote this down. God rescues me from the deep waters of my rebellion. He pulls me out and he calls me son or daughter. Guys, this story points us to the gospel in a a really beautiful way. And honestly, the person who points us to the gospel most in this story is Pharaoh's daughter. It's kind of surprisingly. Look at verse 10. When the child um, grew older, Moses' mom brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Guys, that's a beautiful picture of what God himself would do for us. God himself is the true and better father, pulled every one of us out of the water and calls us son. He calls us daughter. It's like the figure in the story who most prefigures what Christ is going to do for us. 
is Pharaoh's daughter herself. Let's think about God pulling people out of water for just a minute. Uh, we remember, who built, the, uh, who built the original ark? Noah, right? God pulled Noah and his family out of the water. Here we have God pulling Moses out of the water. God would pull his people through and out of the Red Sea. He'd pull them through and across and out of the Jordan River. Um, what else we have? Baptism. We celebrated baptism last week. Did you know there's a Bible verse in the Peters that says our baptism is just like Noah's ark? What does that mean? It mean the waters are representative of God's judgment in a way, and they remind us that just like God brought Noah through the waters of judgment in, a, in an ark, God brings us through the waters of judgment in an ark named Jesus, our rescuing king, and he pulls us out of the water and gives us life. Some of us really need this reminder. You need this reminder because you feel like you're, you're drowning this morning. And let me just, I want to read two psalms for you. They'll be on the screen. This is Psalm 69. Some of you feel this way this morning. It says this, Psalm 69, verse 1. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with crying out. My throat is parched and my eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Some of you are sinking in the floodwaters and the deep mire of your own rebellion, your own rebel choices. And you will continue to sink until you cry out to Jesus for rescue. In fact, what the gospel would tell us is your only hope for rescue from the floodwaters of your rebellion is to cry out, to Jesus as your rescuer. If you try to rescue yourself or if you try to cry out to any other rescuer other than Jesus, you will not only sink deeper into the mire and the floodwaters, the gospel would tell us that you will drown in the floodwaters of your own rebellion. So some of you are in the floodwaters of your own rebellion. Others are, of you are in floodwaters created by the rebellion of other people. We could think of Father's Day as Father's Day. Not everybody in the room has a good father. Some of you, some of you find yourself treading water and trying to breathe because there are floodwaters in your life, impacts of either an absent father or an abusive father or an apathetic father. And you need rescue from the true and better father. Maybe it's not a father. Maybe it's some other sin of some other person and the, the floodwaters of life threaten to overtake you. Then there's Psalm 124, verse 1 and verses 4 and 5. It says this, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, verse 4, then the flood, the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. Guys, that's the good news of the gospel. If Moses had not been rescued, and if the Hebrew people had not been set free from Egypt, and if Jesus had not been sent and raised up as our rescuing king who would take our place, the floodwaters of our rebellion would have overwhelmed every one of us. And you know what? God would have been just in allowing the floodwaters of our own rebellion to overtake us. But he's a good and kind and merciful father. And where we deserve judgment through Jesus, he gives mercy. 
Gospel power for ordinary people. Let me wrap it up this way. Miriam, back to Miriam. Miriam's mom gave her a place to stand and a word to speak and a family to seek. Now let me ask you, if God is your father, I want you to think about this. Where is the place that he has called you to stand in this season? To be still and to be attentively present, keeping watch on the people around you so that you're not creating the moments, but so that when God creates the moments, you are present and near and able to step in and speak. What if the very season of life that you have come to resent because it feels like you're standing still is actually the very season that God wants you to be in right now and he wants you to be standing still, attentively present for the good of other people? What if Okinawa is not about you at all? What if you actually got orders here as one of God's kids for the flourishing of somebody else? What if? Guys, if you're, not, if you're not inside of God's family, this is not even a category for you to consider or to think about. But the beautiful reality of being a son or daughter of God is it's entirely possible that your monitor, detail, or DOD, whatever, gave you orders here because God wants you here because there is somebody drowning in the Nile. There's somebody for whom he wants you to be attentively present. So the question is, where does God have you standing still in the season of life? And are you standing still? The second question would be, what is the word that God has given you to speak? I think Miriam's mommy rehearsed the game plan with Miriam before the day. I think they came up with that, that plan ahead of time. That's a pretty awesome plan. Did you know that our father has re rehearsed a game plan with us? It's called the gospel. So let me ask you, when you're standing still and the moment comes, how many of us are you, am I, prepared to step in and speak the good news of the gospel to Pharaoh's daughter? What's the better word that you have to say? And then let me ask you this third and final question. You've got a place to stand, you've got a word to speak, and family to run to. Who are the people in God's family in your life right now that after you have stepped into the moment and spoken the word, you can run to so that you as a family can love and serve this person well? Guys, we're not the heroes in the family. Ordinary people, gospel power, true and better father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for rescuing us out of the floodwaters of our own rebellion. In this quiet moment, help us to reflect on where you would have us to stand and the words, the true and better gospel words that you would have us to say and the family to whom you would have us run. Father, help us each to remember and reflect that we were being overwhelmed. And maybe there are some in this room, Father, who feel overwhelmed by floodwaters. I pray this morning that you would show yourself to be their rescuer, that you would give life where there is death, where you would give hope where there is despair, you would give light where there is darkness. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.